This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, May 6, 2021, and my guest is the excellent Steve Litchfield, all the way from England. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi there. I'm very glad to be here. It's a sunny evening in May. We're almost free of coronavirus over here. And uh, yeah, there are various family things happening around me, but I'm, I'm actually in a very tatty back room. Hi there. <laughs> yes, things are improving rapidly here with the pandemic as well. I just got my second dose of vaccine about 10 days ago, so I'm pretty much five days away from freedom, as they say. <laughs> but I want to have you on because it's been a while since we've talked about camera phones. And as you know, you and I are camera phone heavy people in terms of our you know, passion, interest, hobby. But we've been doing it for so long. And we're going to talk about some of the things, some of the technologies we're going to talk about today, how they've really come back around in many ways. So just to kind of introduce this for the listeners, the way we're going to do this is go through all the phones I feel and maybe Steve has to add some of this, have been very innovative in the last year uh, in terms of imaging and what they brought to the table. And we're going to spend about half the show on that. And also maybe extrapolating, there'll be tangents. We'll be talking about some past stuff and some, you know, some of our experiences. I know you haven't played with all these phones. There are some of these phones I haven't played with either. Actually, I have every single one of these phones now, but the Vivos we're going to talk about, I haven't unboxed yet. So I need to try them out, but I have them. And I don't have the, the Mi Mix fold as well. So the liquid lens is going to be the discussion. So Steve, in a nutshell, well, how would you summarize 2020 to 2021 this past year in terms of imaging? Every time I come on the podcast, the idea is that imaging is plateauing and people won't know the difference if phone cameras get better. And every year they do, in a way. What I would argue in the last year, though, is that although the actual quality of images hasn't risen, the number of new technologies involved has increased. So we're looking, if they can get the image processing right at the, at the software side, and in theory, we can have better and better cameras, better zoom, better wide angle, better everything. My biggest disappointment in the last year or so is that some manufacturers, <clears throat> they rhyme with um, dung, um, some manufacturers, they've <laughs> dialed up the image processing, the edge enhancement and the sharpening so far that it, it just ruined it for me. Um, now, uh, Xiaomi are doing pretty well. Maybe we'll come to some of their phones later. Sony are doing pretty well. I, I'm looking forward to their new Mark III's, but we're going to come to all of these. But yeah, in summary, things are still improving, but not necessarily right at the image processing level. So you still feel that Samsung is too much. I feel like they've toned things down so significantly in the last few years that I'm pretty happy now. No, I well, I was playing with the Ultra phone when I reviewed it about two or three months ago, and I was just appalled at such a large sensor, such capable optics, such massive amount of horsepower. And if you look at, look at the pixel level, if you literally take the 12 megapixel image and look, you know, crop, say crop it, but crop a quarter of it out because you want to enlarge a certain subject, a certain person, 
And you look at the details in that cropped image and there's ghastly edges where there shouldn't be edges. There's black borders where there shouldn't be borders. And I'm sorry, I'm, I know Samsung have dialed back the, the colour saturation and the colour management, but they're still messing it up yeah. at the pixel level. And that's what I look for, because if you, do, if you just look at the images on the phone screen or on your... Oh, it's going to be great monitor, on any phone absolutely, today. Absolutely. Yeah. So the only way you can tell these things apart is to look down at the pixel level where you can think, okay, if I wanted to take part of this out and crop it, or if I wanted to blow it up to you know, a six foot um, wide image, how would it then look? And that's where the purest images, that's where you can tell the difference. And for example, I would say that the Samsung S21 Ultra and the iPhone 12 Pro Max that I've got here in Pro Raw mode are put the opposite ends of the spectrum. The latter is very, very pure, almost nothing done to it, leaving you to do anything you want. The former is Samsung has done everything it possibly can. It, it screams out the phone screen at you, but it's ultimately the, pic, the pixels aren't very pure in its images. Right. Edge um, enhancement and sharpening has really always been an issue yeah. on phones, in my opinion, at least many of them, except, as you said, the new ProRAW on iPhone. And of course, the Lumias back in the day were a lot yeah. better for that. But question for you, have you been able to compare notes with people we all trust uh, in terms of imaging, of Exynos versus uh, Snapdragon on the S21 Ultra. Because my instinct and my experience talking to folks like you and others has been all along that the Snapdragon versions are always better at imaging <laughs> than the Exynos versions, always. It's the exact same hardware other than the processing, the ISP stack. So has have you, because I personally don't have a lot of seat time with the S21 Ultra and certainly don't have any with the Exynos version. So have you have you talked to anyone about this? Any data on this? Every or almost every Samsung we get over here is Exynos. Just the occasional geek imports a Snapdragon version for one reason or another, usually claimed better battery life. But no, there, there's been I've had no experience whatsoever with the Snapdragon version. So all I ever get to test is the Exynos. If the Snapdragon ISP adds extra tuppence into the mix, then then that's great. And I, I do trust you and I trust the usual I mean, I'm not, people. I'm like, I'm more asking, like I have no evidence of this, but I have re heard reported from folks that have played with both that there's definitely some differences and they're very, I mean, they're mild enough that the average person won't notice, but you obviously and I would notice. And generally it, it leans in the favor of the Qualcomm processing. Yeah, and it's all, so, uh, yeah, we, we're jealous over here. You, the Snapdragon versions of the Samsungs always end up better for some reason or another, and we never get them. All we ever get is Exynos. So I'm jealous. And I'll be honest, you know, I'm not Qualcomm shell, you know, that my podcast is regularly sponsored by MediaTek, but I, I feel that Qualcomm has really done a lot of really good work on yeah. their imaging pipeline. And whether Samsung uses that or not, I'm not sure. But in terms of performance, like just raw measurable speed and stuff qualcomm is really hitting it at least at the flagship level and in every way there's not just imaging like i feel like the performance of these phones is is really impeccable battery life is great and 5g like network performance is just off the charts i mean you know we have millimeter wave here in some areas and uh if i step out my door right now and walk like literally across the street i can actually see a line of sight picocell or nanocell or whatever they're called and i'm getting three gigabits down like i could go out across the street to upload a video and it would be 10 times faster than at home right now yeah it's I crazy th i think we got to the point though three or four years ago where every 
smartphone over about £400, $400, was fast enough for almost everything you and I ever want to do. It's great to see these 5G speeds, but realistically, I'm doing the same old things. I'm viewing a Twitter video or I'm watching something at 720p on YouTube. I, I rarely ever touch the edges of these speeds. Oh, I agree. 5G is, is not necessary at all. But I'm yeah. just saying that Qualcomm is really pushing the envelope yeah. whether we need that or not is uh, you know arguable like we're going to talk about the redmi note 10 pros in a few yeah. minutes and frankly i think that's all the phone you need today yeah. but that being said i have to tell you steve as someone who uses flagships day in day out when i go back to a phone like that i do feel the lag i do feel this, this yeah. the little delays in starting apps the running out of ram i, I feel those things because i'm used to you know, like coming from a OnePlus 8 Pro, which is still my daily phone, or even, the, you know, the new 9 Pro or Oppo Find X3 Pro, which is, they're all like, you know, super polished software on top of super polished hardware. And you notice, that's when you notice. But if you, in the absolute, just use the phone without comparing, phones at $200, $300 or probably 200, 300 pounds today are phenomenal in their experience. You, you're going to get a good experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I bought a, the Redmi Note 10 Pro here because I was so impressed by it about a week ago. And yeah, and I, I gave it a rave review in my last phone show. Well, I guess we'll do the plugs at the end of the podcast. Yeah. So here's the thing I want to start with chronologically in reverse order. So meaning the newest announcements going back in time to I stopped at the P40 Pro Plus because I felt that was the most significant thing in the, that's still within that year period. I'm going to read out the phones and we're going to kind of quickly go through the specific features that I think are interesting and what your thoughts are or your experience if you've played with the, them in terms of these specific technological aspects and whether you think this is uh, something they're going to stick around or improve or it's the stepping stone to something future. So basically we have the Sony Xperia 1 Mark III with, with variable in quotes telephoto because only two settings. We have the Xiaomi Mi Mix Fold, which I mentioned earlier, which has a liquid lens. We have the Xiaomi Mi 11 Ultra. And the reason I brought that, that was, I wasn't going to put it in, but the reason I brought it up, I have one and it has like a, a three punch uh, sensor array, which is a, a Samsung GN2, very large sensor for the main sensor. And then it has two IMX 586s, which are super well-tuned and polished and familiar sensors today for both its ultra-wide and telephoto, and the telephoto in particular is impressive because of it. Then we have the Vivo X60 Pro Plus, which also has a Samsung GN sensor, the other one, the GN1, slightly smaller, but has that crazy gimbal from the X50 series last year, but it's used for the ultra-wide this time. And then we have the Oppo Find X3 Pro. I brought that up because of the really amazing 10-bit IMX766 on both the ultra wide and the main, which basically gives you matched color science and the you know crazy, completely gimmicky but crazy microscope. And then we have, of course, the S21 Ultra, which we already talked about a little bit. The Pixel 5, simply because I still think Google is the king or the, the leader in computational photography. Not that it would be my first choice anymore these days, although. It, it's a solid go-to if you just want to mash the button, right? And then, of course, there's the Apple iPhone 12 Pro Max with a sensor shift, 
image stabilization and the Pro Raw support, and then finally the P40 Pro Plus, which introduced the concept of multiple telephotos and has that incredible RYYB IMX700 sensor that Sony, you know, bespoke made for them that still nobody is replicated, nobody's using. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as to maybe why nobody's using this. But so that that's the roster. Do you think this sensor is not used by anyone else because Huawei wants exclusive? Or do you think that nobody knows how to do color science with RYYB and only Leica and Huawei can pull it off? I think it's probably half of one and half the other. Huawei was very proud when they developed it. I was there at one of the launches when the, the first phone that had that, uh, probably P30 Pro, something like that, about two or three years ago. And they were yeah. really proud of what they developed and the advantages it gave. And I don't know, can other companies license that technology? I, I don't think it's very clear. And certainly they've had three years of experience in doing some crazy mathematics to convert the completely different patterns coming off the, the, the Bayer filter um, to, to RGB, to normal, what people would see with their eyes and the colours people would expect. So I think it's half and half. Half is they don't want to license it and half is that only they know how to get the most out of it. Now, the next question, I agree with you 100%. I feel that the way Huawei is doing it requires a level of knowledge and development that if somebody were to enter that space today, even if Sony gave them the sensor, they wouldn't be able to match that performance for another two generations or something. So it's probably not cost effective for, for companies to do that. And it was a day, the time that Huawei did this, they were flush with money and they were doing yeah. really well. So I don't think we're going to see something like that again from Huawei for a while. But they also did something interesting with the P40 Pro, which the S21 Ultra followed suit with, which was, and, and I would like to kind of mention the Vivo X50 Pro for this as well last year that had a dual telephoto setup. So the dual telephoto, do you think it's a stopgap or do we think we're going to move, we're moving quickly towards fully variable, which is what's rumored to happen on the S22 Ultra now, or two-step or three-step variable like what Sony's Xperia 1 Mark III is showing? Or do you think we're going to continue seeing a lot of super high-end flagships with multiple focal length telephotos? I think both the fully variable telephoto and the multiple telephotos are both valid ways to go because the software is clever enough now that it can cope in the latter case and, and make it seem as if you've got a variable telephoto. Um, I haven't played with a variable telephoto lens uh, camera phone since 2006. And just for your listeners here, this is 15 <laughs> years ago, Miriam. Here we are with um, Sony claiming and other uh, Samsung possibly claiming, depending on the leaks you read, that there's going to be a new high-end flagship with a variable telephoto in a camera phone. I was using one in 2006, the Nokia N93. It was wonderful. And I'm sure you've seen the pictures. And don't forget also the Asus... Zenfone Zoom, sometime and, yeah. around circa 2012 or so, 2013. And that also is exactly the same technology in a periscope format because yeah. we have to say yeah, the yeah. Nokia was not a periscope implementation. Yeah. It had, uh, you know, it wasn't folded. It, it had just a normal, the way the design of the clamshell was, you, you could have it in the barrel of the yeah. hinge, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was a very clever design, by the way. Nokia was so full of clever <laughs> back then. But But I think to me, what stands out here is that you're right. We have enough computational power that if you had like a main lens and then a 3x and a 10x optical, yeah. like what we see on the P40 Pro Plus or the, the S21 Ultra, you can interpolate the in-between. But what I'd love to see is that, that same implementation with an oversampled sensor, like, a, like what Xiaomi is doing the, with the Mi 
11 Ultra, where they're putting a 48 megapixel on the ultra wide and the telephoto. And I want to see more of that because the problem with these telephotos so far is that they're fantastic until you're in low light and then they fall apart. And it's a partially f-stop related, right? The aperture. But partially, it's also the sensors. You know, those 8 megapixel sensors that the P40 Pro Plus uses are okay, but they're not phenomenal. And I have to say that they're... They're pulling out as much data as they can off of this. And from my conversations with Peter Gowden and other folks at Huawei, they're doing blended math here. They're actually shooting with the main sensor as well. And like they're shooting multiple sensors and combining the data, which is really the unique point that I'm not sure Samsung is doing. Like, I think this is a Huawei thing again. Is it, do you know if Samsung's blending the main sensor, the 108 megapixel, and the telephoto when they shoot telephoto? I don't think they are. But then there are, there are numerous aspects of the Samsung S20 Ultra and S21 Ultra which aren't um, fully optimized in software. And in, even in updates, they're in, in giving you extra modes and access to the other, other cameras. But for example, the Pro Mode, I believe they've only just enabled Pro Mode using the ultra-wide camera. You still can't use Pro Mode on the Samsungs with the telephoto. So there's an oh. awful lot of software needed at Samsung's end to make all this happen. Now, in theory, there's enough horsepower on all of these phones to manage the massive data from a 108 megapixel main camera and you've got a telephoto going and you've got maybe two telephotos and you can mix all of this data together you can mash it together and you can do wonderful calculations and produce a beautifully pure image but even with today's processors you've got to have really clever software that can actually do that and i don't think any company's really quite got there yet i think um from my understanding at least with the qualcomm version they have a triple isp on the 888 so it can you know basically crunch three streams of data at the same time. Now, I'm not sure if it can handle 108 on all three. So I think it might be combining two for the 108 and then one for the... But it could still blend. But from my understanding, talking to Huawei, they're blending multiple, like more than two, which is crazy to me, which is also why I couldn't understand, Steve, when I played with that phone, why I was getting such decent, not great, but decent low light results with the telephoto when I was looking at the f-stop on paper and the sensors pixel size and the the resolution, eight megapixels, I was like, there's no way I'm like, I must be hallucinating, but no, it's completely fake. I mean, not fake, <laughs> but it's, it's blended. It's, it's, it's computationally yeah. processed extensively and that's why the p40 pro plus is on my list because it still does things today that nobody else is doing yeah we should explain just for listeners i'm sure most of them know this already but if you've got a telephoto lens on anything whether it's a full fully fledged standalone camera or a camera phone the very fact that you're looking at something quite small in the distance and you're using quite a small um uh, arc of light you get a very small area that you can capture uh, a small sensor and def- and a small could have a small aperture as you say a small pinprick uh, hole through which light can enter if you want to do telephoto zoom shots in low light you need a proper camera probably these days you go yeah. to a dslr and a really big lens and then you can do it trying to get telephoto shots on almost any camera phone today apart from the one you just mentioned in low light you just a recipe for disappointment yeah, and that's the, the big, I think that's the next frontier. And so I'm not convinced that variable telephoto is the way to go because optically introduces a whole bunch of problems and compromises, which is why we went with discrete lenses in the first place. Yeah. Like you can make a 3X telephoto that's significantly better optically than a 10X today in the form factor of a smartphone, even if you fold the 10X, right? But 
the verdict will be out. I'm really looking forward to getting the Sony Xperia 1 Mark III to try this out, to see how they solve this problem, because I do believe there are some solutions, and it's going to be interesting to see what the aperture is at the lowest zoom level. Yeah. I mean, we know the numbers. I, I need to look them up, but how that actually performs in real life. And then finally, how does it perform at the maximum zoom level? And it's going to be interesting if indeed those rumors we're going to mention later are true about the S22. You know, it's interesting that we come full circle since the Nokia, right? And have a, a, a completely stepless variable optical zoom on this new, at least... You know, that's what the rumors are on this phone, the S22 Ultra next year, which would mean that like maybe 3x to 10x or something, maybe maybe less, 2x to 5x. I don't know. Yeah, I'm still annoyed at Sony. I don't I'm, you may be aware of this. Of course, maybe your listeners aren't. But on this Sony Xperia 5 Mark II and, and the one Mark II and probably with the three, Sony have gone down this purist photographer um, route whereby oh, yeah, they're yeah. All totally, you can't zoom from one lens to the other to the other like you can on any other smartphone camera in the world that they're totally separate yeah. in my review of the one mark ii and i also have the five mark ii but i didn't actually officially review it but on hot hardware my review of the one mark ii i actually that was the biggest thing i complained about yeah i was like who does that like <laughs> I, I mean on the on the pro app i get it right you you're physically equivalent changing lenses yeah, on yeah, a camera yeah. but on the the consumer app you know like <laughs> The consumers expect to have this thing that Apple gave us, which is this beautiful, seamless transition where there's a bit of parallax change at one point, but even that yeah. is minimized. And then the color science is perfect between lenses and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my takeaway. Yeah. So, okay. So we've talked about the P40 Pro. We Let's talk a little bit about ProRAW and SensorShift IS, which is the domain of the Apple iPhone 12 Pro Max. First, let's do SensorShift IS. There's also rumors that the S22 will have SensorShift IS, uh, the S22 Ultra. So do you think this is something beneficial right now? Do you think, was that necessary on the iPhone 12 Pro Max? Like, I'm skeptical as to whether it's better than OIS, honestly. Yeah, I can't honestly tell the difference. Looking at results from the iPhone 12 Pro, which is a traditional OIS, and the Pro Max, which has the sensor shift, I don't think there's any really visible difference in low light between the two. They, they, the rest of the uh, imaging stack is so good that there's, you just can't tell the difference. Now, sensor shift uh, OIS, as I understand it, is more responsive. You can move the sensor apparently faster than you could move the optics. I'm, it sounds ah. unusual because the sensor is larger than the optics, but maybe I don't understand that. But apparently there are advantages and I'm sure Apple can make more of it in the future. Um, but, so, but that requires more space. You've got to have little um, actuators around the corners of the, the, the already large sensor. So you need quite a large phone to put it in, you, which is why the 12 Pro, the smaller one, has traditional OIS. Makes sense. So ProRAW, as you've schooled me many times on Twitter, <laughs> is awesome. And I, I don't have a, an iPhone 12 Pro Max or an iPhone 12 period to try it with. What I'm curious about is what's preventing others to do the same? Like ProRAW is obviously a format, right? That is Apple specific. Am I correct? At the moment, it doesn't output yeah. DNG, does it? It outputs a DNG, but with uh, some Apple secret source so that it maintains the, the, the key feature of ProRAW is that you get all the advantages of the new normal smart HDR and the software recognizing a subject and optimizing textures and all of that st clever stuff we're used to on smartphone cameras. But you also get 
the facility to have the raw pixel data as well. And then it's up to you whether you want to take that DNG and go into a you know Apple Lightroom or uh, Adobe Lightroom or similar and do wonderful things. If you're skilled with managing raw files or what I do is I think, great, I switch ProRaw on. And as far as you're concerned, the iPhone just shoots a photograph, except because it's in ProRaw format, Apple switches off the edge enhancement, switches off the sharpening. So you get all the wonderful texture enhancement and the, the, the smart HDR and all the clever stuff, but without the populist, um, the bits that I really hate, which was is the Samsung-esque. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's the good compromise, really. So for everyday snaps in practice on the 12 Pro Max, I just take within to default. I get a fairly sharp and fairly enhanced. But for taking a photograph of my food or someone's dog or something is absolutely fine. Then I come across a landscape when there's a waterfall or something. I touch toggle Pro Raw on, one tap on the screen, and then you've got absolutely perfect pixels. And then if you want to later on, you can sharpen them. You can do wonderful things. You can even, say, go onto a PC and you can, and you can, or an iPad, and you can edit the the the, the raw the actual raw side of things, but right, maintaining right, right. all the smart stuff as well. So I think it's just an excellent compromise, and there's no reason why other companies, Samsung, I'm looking at you, couldn't do exactly the same. And they should. And it's interesting that other companies do support raw and do in their pro mode turn off some of these enhancements. But then the converse is that you lose all the computational stuff. Yeah. So you know, supposedly, I think it was. Digital Camera Review, one of the big uh, digital camera publications just did a best smartphone imaging comparison and they put the Vivo X60 Pro Plus in there for the best pro mode. So I, I have a, a Vivo X60 Pro Plus. I need to unbox it, set it up and start using it. But it'll be interesting to see what that pro mode entails. And maybe there is such a feature there finally. So speaking of Apple, can you tell us which phones are supporting ProRaw? Is it 12 only? Can you go back to 11 and support ProRaw? It is just the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max, the vanilla 12 and 12 Oh, Mini. not Don't... even the 12. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that expands to further devices. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure why the vanilla 12 wouldn't have it because it's, it's largely a software thing, but clearly the 12 Pro with the, uh, the the telephoto lens and with the LiDAR, et cetera, clearly there is more information and more accuracy. So it kind of makes sense. And I was very happy to pay the extra few hundred pounds and get the very best of the best because I, I, oh, I, I've, been, I've been so happy. I think I haven't been as happy with the smartphone um, with the 12 Pro Max. Since your Lumia <laughs> 950XL. Or <laughs> my Lumia 1020. But it has to be said, I'm still mad at apple for ditching the headphone jack five years ago but let's i I've, I've got to get over that but that one that one are you still mad about the lack of lens covers on phones no 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 remember no, how no. you and i used to get I mad know, about that i know but the, these days you've got you know sapphire glass on the um on the, yeah. the cameras it's fine but the, the thing about headphone jacks just to go off on a tangent is that they're coming back <laughs> i'm now seeing manufacturers which ditched it a year ago coming back with their new flagships with the headphone jack back and i'm thinking yay so i know apple I, that ship has sailed they're not going to go back but at least many Which of phone the, is that many of the android phones are well um the i'll look at it <laughs> i'm just gone from my mind but i'll get it for you by the end of the show but there was a, a major release because i'm scratching my head here because i don't know of any that's done that yet okay let's talk about large sensors and low light capture that are not ryyb so like things like the samsung gn2 and gn1 on the xiaomi mi 11 Ultra and the Vivo X60 Pro Plus, and also these, you know, 
We've got the Oppo Find X3 Pro with its dual IMX766 50 megapixel 10-bit sensors for the Ultra Eye and the main. We've seen that same sensor for the Ultra Eye on the OnePlus 9 series. We're starting to see a lot of phones using something that Huawei started with the P40 series, a large pixel count, pixel bind, ultra wide, but now also doing that with the telephoto. And on top of that, cranking up, you know, the dial on the main sensor, either with a 108 megapixel large sensor like Samsung has, or with these 50 megapixel ultra large single pixel sensors that are still binned. So where do you think we're at with this? I'm personally not feeling a huge improvement in low light performance on at least the Mi 11 Ultra versus the Galaxy S21 Ultra. I think that the 9 to 1 pixel binning that the Samsung is doing is pretty much equivalent to the output of the GN2 from Samsung, the, the large 50 megapixel that they have. I hear better things about what Vivo's implementation is doing on the GN1. Are you thinking we're going to get even bigger sensors with bigger pixels or <laughs> larger pixel counts that I get a get pixel bin? Maybe now we're going to get instead of like nine down to one, maybe like 16 to one, something crazy like that. I think we're at the limits of physics. We're already down to pixels uh, that are a fraction of a micron and that's just unthinkably yeah. small i think 108 megapixels maybe 150 i did see 200 mentioned somewhere which is just crazy half a micron pixels but the thing i wanted to say is that for if the purpose of going to these crazy megapixel counts is to give you better low light shots then great and they do and i've been playing with xiaomi phones samsung phones and many others with these high megapixel counts and yeah in low light they're great they've got the stabilization sorted but what you don't do is what the, going back to my PureView days, Nokia actually also used the high megapixel count for using doing software zoom, smart cropping into the sensor. But then they were RGB sensors. These are um, nine, nine pixels of the same color or four pixels of the same color. Right. Which means you, yeah. you can't start smart cropping because you lose so much information. So that's my biggest disappointment. If, if I'm just taking low light shots, all of these devices do far better than the counterparts from two years ago. But they lose that essential zoom facility, which brings us back to variable telephotos and multiple telephotos because they really are needed. You can't take a 108 megapixel Xiaomi camera on this Redmi Note 10 Pro we've been playing with. I thought, great, 108 megapixels. I'll be able to do smart cropping, pure view zoom on a two, no. $200 phone. No, it takes a, a, a whatever it is, a 12 megapixel shot and it then does software zooming on the 12 megapixels, which produces a blurry mess. Very frustrating. I mean, it's... If you're not pixel peeping, it's usable up to about three or four times, and it still looks better at those three or four times than a 48 or 64 megapixel sensor zoomed up. So they have a leg up on the competition in that sense, you know, in that price range. But when you look at the Mi 11, like the non-Ultra yeah. Mi 11, which has a 108 megapixel sensor and has no telephoto, when it tries to zoom, it can't keep up with the competition in terms of the flagship competition that has optical zooms because even though, as you said, it's a 108 megapixel sensor, it can't do that sub-pixel yeah. math because of the bear, the quad bear being on the large. And if it does, you see banding. Actually, here's what's interesting, Steve. So Ben Sin was on the show recently and we were talking about these 200 and something pound, $250 phones from Xiaomi, Redmi, uh, like the Note 10 Pro. And from uh, Realme, the Realme 8 Pro. And 
how they're both 108 megapixel sensors at that price point. They're both the same Samsung sensor. And he kind of dismissed the 8 Pro because he's like, you know, it doesn't have a high refresh rate display. And so I think the Note 10 Pro wins. And I agree with him. Overall, I think the Note 10 Pro is the better phone. But I've been playing with the Realme 8 Pro and it does something very interesting when it zooms. It does sub-pixel math on the zoom. So you get banding on the colors when you look at patterns Okay. when you zoom in, but you still get a huge improvement, at least in daytime photography, in the zoom performance. I can zoom up to 5, 6, 7x with that phone and get a clear, detailed, non-blurry, non-messy photo because it's not taking a 12 megapixel output and basically like interpolating it's actually taking each pixel and then it's kind of you know doing some smarts with the colors best it can to get the colors right but it gets the colors right unless you're looking at a pattern yeah yeah. and it's interesting that there's completely different isp approaches here on the same well actually so it's both qualcomm 720g on the realme 8 pro versus 732g on the on the note 10 pro so it's interesting that similar isps very different techniques and honestly i would take the realme 8 pro for zooming anytime over the note 10 pro and i wish xiaomi would try that because at least on the mi 11 which has an 88 and has the horsepower to do it i will take a little bit of banding on patterns if i can zoom and get some detail yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, the one, you know? yeah, these one hundred eight megapixel um, sensors. When I saw the spec, I thought, yes, we're going to be doing some of the same clever stuff as Nokia were doing back in the day. I know, <laughs> I know, their blocks of pixels are the same colour, so there are going to be some colour issues. But as you say, in theory, you can do smart cropping. Forget the colour, just do the smart cropping. Get the detail, you know, true, true, precise, two times, three times, even four times with a bit of software help detail and then try and retrofit and, and manage the color somehow. And it sounds like Realme has done it right. And if only these other manufacturers could get the maths right, there's no reason whatsoever why they couldn't do exactly the same and produce better software zoom. Yeah, I mean, in the end, the Realme 8 Pro, I like it better, honestly. In general, other than the 60 hertz display, it's got a beautiful AMOLED, but it's 60 hertz only. And it's a smaller phone too. It's like a 6.4 inch. It's a lot more manageable. And uh, it does have an in-display fingerprint sensor, which is finicky because it's, you know, uh, (laughs) at that price point. So the advantage on the Note 10 Pro is still overall, I think it's a better phone because you get a better chip. You get a bigger screen if that's what you want. You get 120 hertz refresh and you generally get a better experience. So... I know we were going to talk about that separately, uh, but I, I'll come back to it in a second because I want to talk about your thoughts versus your reference, which is Lumia 950XL. But kind of wrapping up a little, there's a couple of more topics I want to bring up here on the imaging state of the art, which we haven't touched on yet. And that's the two things that we haven't really talked about. There's a microscope on the Oppo <laughs> Find X3 yeah. Pro, which I think is gimmicky, but very interesting. And then the the uh, liquid lens on the Mi Mix Fold. I don't have a Mi Mix Fold yet. Let's start with the liquid lens. So this is something that's been, I mean, didn't Philips show that off like a decade ago? Like, I think it's been talked about for a long time. And the idea is that instead of a hard lens made out of plastic or glass, you have a liquid that's suspended between two transparent membranes and the membranes can be pulled yeah. radially and uh, you know the lens can basically like our eyes yeah, like yeah. our human eye works like the muscles pull the lens which is a liquid lens and it lets you have different focal lengths so this is the first implementation of that 
The results are very mixed from the reviews I've read. Unfortunately, I don't think it's the lens. I think it's because the Xiaomi Mi Mix Fold is the first Xiaomi phone to use their own ISP. Despite using a Snapdragon processor, they're using some kind of second chip of their own making for image processing. And you know that never that never works out well in the early days unless they start tuning this. So the results are kind of okay, but they're not great. And they're probably due to this new ISP. But I think in concept, this lens should be interesting because this lets you do macro or telephoto on the same lens. It's interesting, but the uh, the analogy to the human eye, which it shares many similarities, unfortunately, the human eye is imperfect. You and I wear glasses, and I wear very focals. <laughs> and the one thing we've learned about the human eye is it doesn't doesn't wear that well and it deteriorates over time and it's you all nearly always need some kind of correction i'm excited by the possibility of a mecha mechanical stroke liquid something that can can change from macro to regular to telephoto all in the one gadget but it, are those membranes going to harden over time is there going to be some kind of long-term deterioration i'm skeptical in the same way i'm skeptical a bit about folding screens i can see that they're possibly the future that they're exciting they're fun to play with they're cool to own but long term are they really going to stand up for a one year down the road two year down the road if, if you're someone who changes phones every six months then maybe that won't be a problem with folding screens or a liquid lens but I, I think I prefer hard, fast glass uh, and plastic, uh, good plastic in my phone cameras. Yeah, my concern is not so much on durability because these devices are even at best going to be used three, three years, four years at most. I'm more concerned about the material used for the pouch that holds the liquid. Like how optically good is that material? Making flexible, transparent materials that are optically high quality is not something yeah. I think we know how to do quite yet. Yeah, yeah, and and the very the, the material itself, these layers, they have a definite depth. And when you've got a depth, you've got a front surface and a back surface. You've got reflections, internal reflections, and you've got refraction yeah. at each of those edges. And all of that's got to be allowed for in software to compensate for the fact that you've got extra things surrounding the main lens. It's it really isn't a trivial thing to pull off. And and just as with folding screens, I'm a tiny bit skeptical, but it makes an exciting uh, podcast topic. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, the fact that the Mi Mix Fold is a folding device here is incidental. That's more yeah. I wanted to talk about the liquid lens. But, you know, I didn't mention it in the list here, but there's the uh, the ZT or ZT Axon series, uh, the new, there was a 20 Pro and now the 30 Pro is coming that have in display, under display selfie cameras. And the first generation of that, it was pretty disastrous. I don't know if you saw the results, but you know, this is related to what you just said about the quality of the algorithms that are designed to limit reflections and all that stuff, because that's the same problem. You're trying to shoot through a matrix of semi-transparent pixels yeah. and it causes some loss and that loss needs to be compensated for with software. I think this is a math problem that will be resolved with compute power, but right now I don't think we're there yet. The Axon 30 Pro or whatever it's called, or Ultra, is coming to the US, supposedly. So I should be getting a review in it at some point, and it'll be a second generation under display selfie camera. And hopefully we see some improvement over the original. Yeah, ZT, I think, is one of the, ma the manufacturers that's brought back the headphone jack, by the way, for its latest flagship. Oh, that's them. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think of them as like one of my top 10 <laughs> brands. So, you know. 
Like, I mean, I'd like to, but they're not very significant anymore. So. Well, well, Sony has a headphone jack with a really high performance and they make flagships. So let's go with Sony. <laughs> okay, Sony, I think, makes more sense. But Sony never dropped. Well, they did drop the headphone jack, didn't they? Briefly, yeah, they, one they year, did drop one year. it f- yeah. for one year. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. You're right. There's some coming <laughs> back. But I think that for the mainstream brands, which today I would say are Apple, Samsung, Xiaomi, maybe Oppo, you know, those other like, I mean, Huawei used to be in there, but they're gone and they don't have a headphone jack anymore. I think for all those brands, we don't see, I don't see a headphone jack coming back, but I'd love to, and I wouldn't say no to it. And, you know, <laughs> speaking of, I think the, uh, the Redmi Note 10 Pro has a headphone jack with a really great DAC and amp behind it too. I was really surprised the sound quality coming out of that phone. Yeah, you know? I, I wouldn't call it really great. It was certainly decent and it was good fidelity, but I don't think there was enough oomph there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, no, not enough power for sure, but yeah. I'm just saying that I don't, ex- I've yeah. adjusted my expectations <laughs> now. Yeah. Like it was still above average. Yeah. Like there yeah. are still yeah. many phones out yeah. there that have less output. Yeah. But I thought the DAC was very delicate yeah. in a good way. Like I was like, wow, this is this is not. But I think yeah, there's a sound signature to the Qualcomm DAC yeah. that is on all the new chips. And with a good amp, you can really get some decent results. I mean, we're not talking LG, yeah. you know, yeah. ESS DAC here, but we're talking better than 99% of the world needs, in my opinion. And it's very impressive to see this on a 200-pound phone, right? Like, I mean, the reality is that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you were mentioning earlier that the Redmi Note 10 Pro, you could detect lag. In other words, you, after coming from flagships, you thought, well, this is a really great phone, incredible value for money, but it's not quite fast enough for me. And I completely agree. I could notice slight lag, slight differences from my flagships. But at the same time, uh, you, you're not going to buy the Redmi Note 10 Pro oh, for yourself. I live with you, it. You, well, you, you tend to buy it for your spouse or your mum or dad or or recommend it to a friend, and they will be blown away by how much they get for the money. It's only oh, you, yeah. you really, really have to be picky. You're looking at the the, the raw chip speed and, and the, the launching of apps before you start noticing any real defects in this $200, $200 pound phone. It's amazing. Microscope, la- the last topic, like, I don't even know what to say. You need to insert that GIF. I think it's interesting technically that they made a lens that can magnify that much. And the sensor behind it obviously is very limited. It's three megapixels. It's not going to, you know, I don't know what the specs are on the pixel size or the aperture or anything. But what's your take on that? <laughs> to me, as I said in my podcast before, the Find X3 Pro feels incomplete. It's a phenomenal phone. Right now, it's my favorite flagship. I really swear, if I had, if I could use it in the US, because in the US, I don't get 5G, but that's not a big deal. I don't even get 4G in most places. I only get HSPA+, and I cannot use it because of that. If I could get the signal on the right bands, I would use that as my daily phone today, because I love it in every other way. However, why did they go from a folded lens last year, telephoto 5X on the Fine X2 Pro to this just generic 2x telephoto which is okay but nothing spectacular and then because they had to cut costs somewhere for that microscope and this is a 1500 us phone i mean why cut costs on the telephoto i don't understand it i i do agree maybe they should have had a dual telephoto like in other phones where you've got two times or three times and then a periscope as well but i think i mentioned this last year and so i certainly mentioned it in articles when you're out and about taking photographs at real events, real scenes, real people, real real dogs, whatever, real food, uh, you, you sometimes zoom two times, three times. Almost never do you or I or anyone listen to this ever actually use 
five times or more in any real shot. You use it maybe if you're birds bird watching or you're you know hunt, right. hunting lions or or you're testing phone cameras. I never in real life ever go beyond two or three times. So to have a two times optical, I would rather it have been three times. But then a bit of yeah, soft, me too. Three is a sweet spot. Yeah, but then yeah. a, a bit more software on to, zoom on top of that, and you can easily get to four or five times. I think that's perfectly sufficient. And I was really intrigued by this microscope. I completely agree it's a gimmick because I took about a hundred microscope shots on the day one, and I would exactly. I would never have, was never have used it ever again. You just don't think of it, but it's a it's clever. And the way they've done the ring flash to illuminate the subject, because obviously yeah. the phone's yeah. blotting out the light to the subject. I just think it's really clever. They claim sixty times magnification, which I think is a bit of a stretch, but it's it's really clever in doing shots of you know the the, the dirt and dust on on someone's keys or their coin or even their looking at their skin. I think optically it's thirty x, and then they have two x yeah, digital yeah, on top. Yeah, yeah. But the three megapixel it gets very crappy very quickly. Look, I think it's interesting, but the Finex Two Pro last year was such a great phone, and it was essentially a OnePlus Eight Pro on steroids, but it was lacking wireless charging, which for me is a big thing that I need yeah, on my phones. Yeah. And so that when I saw the Finex Three Pro had wireless charging again, I was like, this might be my phone. And then for some strange reason, there at least the model I have, the radio bands are worse than the Finex Two Pro in terms of compatibility with the US. And on top of that. It was such a good 5X telephoto folded lens last year. It was one of the best I've ever used until the Note 20 Ultra. The Note 20 Ultra 5X, I thought, was a very, very solid 5X. But I was kind of like, why did you step back? It's such an expensive phone. Just add the, maybe go back down to a 3X and then add the microscope. But 2X seems like, I feel like 2X is not a telephoto anymore. It's like portrait lens at this point. Yeah, I think you know you're, I, I think you're right. Maybe that's why why they had to put it in there, and they might have wanted to go with just a wide and ultra wide. Otherwise, but the telephoto, as we've seen on the iPhone and many others, makes portrait shots dramatically better. Um, and again, I would have liked to have seen three times, but overall, I'm I'm pretty happy with the find. Uh, X3 throws specs. I notice you haven't mentioned at all, Miriam, all of these wonderful Android phones, the fact that they all have dramatically different software skins and experiences and services. And um, is that an important deal for you or are you purely hardware driven? No, it is an important deal. It's just that, well, let's put it this way. All the Chinese phone skins have gotten less and less offensive yeah. to me over time. I feel that the BBK group, which includes Oppo, Vivo, and OnePlus has done a very good job at making things better to the point where I feel I can use an Oppo or a Realme phone without feeling frustrated. Certainly OnePlus with Oxygen OS is fantastic. It's one of my favorites alongside the Pixel experience, which is still my favorite, and the Moto experience and the Sony experience yeah. and the Nokia experience, which are all purish Android. But Vivo is still the only one kind of lagging a bit. It's not bad. It's much better than it was, but it's still a little broken in my opinion. And Xiaomi has improved drastically, yeah. but it's still not my cup of tea. Like, see, it's little things. <laughs> the launchers are now like the launchers are now manageable. Yeah. But because they have the Discover feed from Google on the left side, and you can you know you can arrange things like there's an app tray, and you can put things alphabetically yeah. and blah blah. So you can tweak it really quickly to match. But there's a couple of things in on MIUI that still drive me completely bonkers. One is the way the settings menu is a complete disaster. Yeah. It's been rearranged so much that I cannot <laughs> find anything, and I rely on search to find stuff. The other one is dismissing notifications by only swiping right. You cannot swipe left. 
I'm so used to a pixel where I can swipe whichever way to dismiss a notification that it's a very hard muscle memory to break. And most other skins are now supporting yeah. two direction. It's a very Chinese thing that's left over. And, you know, a lot of the Chinese skins did this, the dismiss only one way. And it's going away from the others, but Xiaomi's just clinging onto it. And it's really frustrating to but me. They like copying Apple, and that's the way it works in the iPhone. The iPhone, you can't swipe in either direction, which was really frustrated me when I moved this iPhone after being Android for a few years. From 2016 to 2020, I was Android. And all of a sudden, I was on an iPhone, and I had to learn one way of swiping and not the other. The other way does, does something completely different. So, And I think Xiaomi are... Of all of the Android manufacturers, they do like copying Apple wherever they can. Yeah. Well, Oppo used to, and Vivo used to be really bad at that too. They've improved drastically. Oppo ColorOS is just radically. One day, the, it's like yeah. somebody flipped a switch over at uh, BBK Group and said, we're making an Android phone that feels like an Android phone again. And I was yeah. just like, hooray. <laughs> I think it started with the Fine X2 Pro last year, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, for me, the takeaway has been that they've all really worked on optimizing the performance. And that's something that I can live with the skin if it doesn't slow down my phone. And frankly, one of the reasons I like the Oppo Find X3 Pro so much is that it's one of the fastest phones I've ever used. Now, OnePlus notwithstanding, we're still the champions by far. Oxygen OS still runs circles around everything else. But wow, honestly, I think that the Find X3 Pro it just feels like I can never slow it down. Like it just keeps up with me telepathically. It's just unbelievably nice. And that's where I want to be. That's why, you know, obviously I noticed the Redmi Note 10 Pro because I'm coming from that. I'm coming from that expectation. But you're right. Most people don't care and won't notice. In fact, you know, when I use a Pixel 5 or Pixel 4 a 5G, which are both great phones, I notice the slowdown. It's yeah, not as yeah, fast as yeah. the flagship. And it used to be that the Pixels had flagship chips and were as fast, and they are not. I mean, they've never been as fast as OnePlus, but they've been up there. And now that's the biggest gripe I've had last year with the Pixels in terms of performance is that you do notice that they're not running a flagship chip. And, and I want to touch on this kind of the final imaging thing before we go into the news rumors and things. I feel like Google is stagnating a little bit. I mean, obviously, I would love to see them use better hardware in future pixels. It's time for them to go beyond the 12 megapixels, etc. But I feel like even the software computational stuff hasn't really, it doesn't seem to have evolved much to me. Like, I've talked to some people that actually feel that the lack of the pixel core has decreased the performance of the imaging on the Pixel 5 and 4a 5G series. Yeah. Are you on that camp? I would agree. I think it's certainly this slowed down the processing on a Pixel 4, 4XL. You take a shot and it will be a fraction of a second and that image was done. Now, even on the, I know they're, they're not quite flagship main chips, but no, it's a good second or two really on my Pixel 4a 5G before that image is actually ready to be viewed, which is a bit disappointing. And plus, I believe for the 20 late 2020, early 21, the the current generation of, of phones, I think they're using cheaper optics. I mentioned this to you on Twitter. I, yeah, I, you did. I, I'm surprised. I, I think for the 4 and 4XL, they used a pretty expensive set of optics in, in that with a, a standard sensor and then applied their software magic. I, I've looked at pixel level detail on the 4A 5G and the 5, and I'm just disappointed every single time. And it can't be the software. The software is the same. The software's improved. It yeah. has to be that they're using cheaper optics. And I guess that's part of bringing the price down. Or the Pixel Core versus the 765 ISP. 
Yeah, it could be. Well, whatever they're doing, I'm not... Maybe they can't yeah. implement all the algorithms yeah. that they want, and they're just cutting a few corners. I just want... Ah, oh, Steve, I could rant right now. <laughs> but the prices are so much lower, though. Okay. We, you, you can't argue with the price, I think. Let's, let's have this quick tangent conversation. <laughs> Steve, you and I, you got me into this. You got me into <laughs> smartphones. I wouldn't be where I am today as a journalist if it hadn't been for you. I want everyone to know that Steve is the person who introduced me to Nokia's Warm World folks, which at the time was like their influencer program in the mid-2000s. And thanks to Steve, I was able to first get my first review units and start reviewing phones, particularly camera phones. And I owe you this because it's how I ended up getting a blog that was somewhat successful, a YouTube channel that was somewhat successful back in the day. And then Engadget picked me up, etc. And here I am today. And for those who don't know this, that's, that's, that's it. Steve, thank you. But I have to say, look, I've been a Pixel and Nexus user before that. And only yeah. this past year did I switch to OnePlus 8 Pro. And a bit reluctantly, I still carry a Pixel around and I still take most of my pictures of the Pixel, despite the fact that the OnePlus 8 Pro takes great photos. It's just that I am so jonesing for a, I don't care how much it costs, $1,200, $1,500. Just hook me up, Google, give me a Pixel 6 XL with a 6.5-inch screen. I don't need something huge, but I don't want I want something small, bigger than the 6.2, something that at least the size of the 4A 5G. But just just crank the dial up to 11 on everything. Like, give no bars hold. And I know Google's not going to do it. Google's never going to give me 65-watt fast charging or 50-watt. They're not going to give me fast wireless charging. They're not going to give me a lot of things I want, but I would love to see that. This is what I want. I want that computational know-how applied to just even even if you took the lenses that sony has three 12 megapixel decent well-known well-tuned sensors with decent sized pixels good optics image stabilization blah 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 give me that with the computational prowess of google and i would be in absolute heaven a 3x telephoto ultra wide regular lens 12 megapixel 1.4 microns each OIS on the telephoto and the main, autofocus on the ultra wide so I can do macro. Yeah. And that's all I want. Like, how can it be that nobody's making this phone for me? Sony has come the closest. I hate to say this, but I love what Sony's doing because they are not messing about. You get a headphone jack, you get everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it comes down to price, which is why I mentioned that because uh, back in the day, Pixels and or Nexus devices they were then. They were started low and they gradually started creeping up, but they were always more or less the best of Android for their generation. And, and then you had the crazily priced Pixel 3 XL and the 4 XL. With it was great, you get a lot of phone for your money, but then they've gone the other way. So whereas Apple and Samsung and others have gone over a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds, and said, "Look, we're going to make the best damn phone we can, the best camera, the best telephoto, the best sensors, the best lenses, the best uh, image processor." Apple, you know, calibrates everything at the factory to line up all three cameras on the same spot so you don't get parallax jumps when you zoom. All of this effort, but it means an iPhone 12 Pro Max costs £1,200 in the UK. The Pixel 4a over here is, is currently on offer for £320, £330. Oh, no, a look, I, I honestly think if I had a budget to stick yeah. to and I had to buy a single phone today, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind I'd buy a Pixel 4a 5G and call yeah. it a day. I yeah. would miss wireless charging, and that's about all I would miss. I would be 100% happy with that. But that's not what I want, Steve. What I want <laughs> yeah. 
is yeah. that ultimate pixel, you know, no cost issues. Just sell a thousand of them. I don't care. You will sell more <laughs> than a thousand. If you make that phone, I can guarantee you that every camera nerd, flagship nerd with money that changes their phones every year will buy one. You will sell to that core audience guaranteed. Is it cost effective? Probably not. Is Google in the business of making cost-effective hardware? I don't think so. I honestly still think that even with these cost-reduced pixels that were great phones last year, they're still not selling enough to justify doing hardware in the first place. So if you're just going to make this a loss leader like Sony is because they sell TVs and PlayStations, then make a loss leader. Give us the best you can, Google. Stop messing about. You'll be wanting the Pixel 6 XL coming your way for $1,200 later in the year. Maybe. 100%. I'm there. I'll <laughs> buy one. Yeah. But I look, agree. this is kind of where I'm at. I cannot make up my mind this year on which phone to replace my OnePlus 8 Pro with. I am not switching to the 9 Pro. It's not enough of an improvement. The Oppo would be it if I had the bands to support at least LTE in most of the areas that I spend time in. I cannot do a Galaxy, Steve. I, I want to so bad. I almost switched to the S21 Ultra, but... I cannot wrap my head around having a phone that everyone else has. Like, I need something special yeah. and different. I am that fickle. I'm sorry, okay? So maybe <laughs> the Xperia 1 Mark III, maybe that's the ticket. I don't know. No, I don't know no, where no. to go next. I'm very skeptical at Sony and these 4K screens. I don't know whether you tried the Xperia 1 Mark II, but its screen... I did. I reviewed it. Uh, yeah. Its screen was awful outdoors. You go out in the sun, you, can, you can't read the screen. Well, it's not bright enough, 100%. Yeah. I don't care about the 4K. Actually, it's the 5 series that I like Yeah, the best. I want the... But the 5 doesn't have wireless I charging know, this year. I know, it's so frustrating. I'm completely with you. Like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> come on. Anyway, let's fire through a bunch of rumors, speaking of Samsung. So we talked about the S22 Ultra. There's rumors of a variable telephoto that's continuously variable instead of two steps like Sony. We've talked about that. There's also rumors of a potential sensor shift, yeah, stabilization. Yeah. So we kind of covered that. What's more exciting, though, is there's been a mega leak of what the Z Flip 3 and the Z Fold 3 will look like. And I'm in love. Okay, as an aside, I know this is not an imaging, you know, fabulous device, but the Z Flip last year, especially the 5G one, is one of my favorite phones of 2020. I love, love, love that form factor. And I love having, that phone makes me, delights me every time I use it because it's got all the goodness of Samsung and a decent camera system, a decent software experience, and it's well-made and it's you know, seems pretty solid for a folding phone, yet it's so compact and small and light and beautiful. And now they're going to make one that's two-tone Oreo pixel-like <laughs> and has a bigger front display, which is the only big gripe I have with it. There you go, then. <laughs> Maybe I'll be fickle and change to that as my main phone. I don't know, Steve, but this is exciting to me. What do you think? Yeah, the the Flip, I did review it, and I, I loved the hardware. I love what they've done. I, I for, for many people, this is almost like a perfect gadget a phone in this it doesn't take up much space in the pocket however i wear a belt case which is horribly geeky horribly un, <laughs> un, unpretty uncool but i wear a belt case so it doesn't actually matter how large my phone is it's going to sit hang off my belt anyway so for me personally i was out on the flip but i completely appreciate it it's an incredibly small and compact and efficient piece of technology it feels like the future it's just I don't know what it is about this phone. It just makes me smile and makes me feel delighted every time I use it. Yeah. I've gone back to using mine again, and I'm just like, wow, wow, Samsung. <laughs> I mean, look, I have to say, 
as an aside, and I've said this a few times on the show, but Samsung has done some really fantastic things in the last year. Like the software is on point, the cameras are on point, edge, you know, and sharpening yeah. <laughs> accepted. Yeah. And but like, you know, the S20 fan edition, which is now there's an S21 fan edition yeah, rumored to them, be coming. And I love that phone so hard. And you know, I would switch to that phone right now in Trim until I can figure out what I want. If it wasn't for the uh, the six gigs of RAM, I need more than that. I'm sorry. I run out of RAM all the time. I'm a terrible person. I use so many apps. It's ridiculous. How do you run out of RAM in six gig? What do you do that needs more than six gig of RAM? Do tell. I leave every app possibly open and I find that it's not the actual RAM usage, like by the apps, that's the issue. It's the flipping apps. Okay. So OnePlus introduced this concept and it's kind of trickling down into this firmware of other phones now. And it's the concept of RAM disk. They create a RAM disk. They load the apps that okay. you most frequently use in yeah. the RAM disk. And so you're, you know, you're even faster than the UFS 3.1 loading the apps. So even if you killed an app, if you go back to loading an app you just used, it's in the RAM disk. And that's where you get that instant uh, okay. gratification yeah. response. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you know, give me 12, give me 16 gigs. I don't <laughs> care. I want the RAM just for the RAM disk. I think 16 is excessive. 12 is excessive even. 8, I'm perfectly happy. 6 is, the RAM disk doesn't do its thing anymore. And 8 is a sweet spot. 12, though, a lot of my flagships are 12. And I'm noticing I can keep a lot more in RAM disk. I'm putting air quotes here. But it's very interesting, this, this approach. And I don't know if... Maybe Apple's starting to do the same thing as well because they're putting a lot more RAM in their phones now. And I think that's the trick. It's not about RAM RAM. It's about this this responsiveness of the phone. And to get that, you know, back in the days of DOS, we used to do RAM disks for just that reason. And <laughs> I'm actually surprised that the Mac and Windows, maybe they are using these techniques in the back end and not showing us. But, you know... It's funny how most phones today have more RAM than most computers. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, I'm staggered by the, the, just going back to, I know you, you're frustrated by the RAM and the S20 FE, but it is a, such a phenomenal phone. Over here, it's about, oh my God. about 500 pounds. The cameras yeah. are so good, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Like the 3X telephoto is so much better than the S21 base telephoto with that crappy 64. Like the day Samsung stops making these fake 1.1X yeah, yeah. 64 megapixel cropped sensor telephotos will be a hooray moment. And that's why by itself, in itself, I would say to anyone considering to buy a base model S21, forget about it, buy the FE when it comes out. This new FE looks like pretty much going to be a copy of the existing FE with the industrial design of the S21, and it's going to have either an 888 or an 870 as the chip. Of course it's that, and I hope more RAM. Honestly, I'd take an 870 with more RAM over an 888 with less RAM at this point because I have a few phones with the 870 now, and honestly, you can't feel the difference. It's like an 865 on steroids. It's like, yeah. how can you not want that it's perfectly fine, it's really right? impressive how there are so many android phones now you can recommend at the two main price points there's the kind of 200 dollars 200 pound price point at which i think things think things like the poco um the poco x3 um and the f3 yeah and the uh the the redmi note 10 pro at that price point they're really recommendable you know you can recommend them to someone and they're not going to look back they're going to love it and then you got to the 500 pound 500 dollar mark Pixel 4a 5G and the Samsung S20 FE, you know you, they're completely and utterly solid. You can recommend them to Uncle Tom Cobley and Absolutely. all, and they will just fall in love with it. 
hundred percent. I think there, we live in a time when really it's it's like it's hard to buy a car that sucks today. Yeah. Well, it's hard to buy a phone that sucks today. And Xiaomi, my God, Xiaomi is really hitting it off. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just making so many good phones now. Like it's hard to not recommend any of their phones yeah. like there's a proliferation of them they're parts spinning like mad <laughs> like to give you an example that 120 hertz amoled which is very peaky in terms of brightness 1200 nits max in the note 10 pro the redmi note 10 pro is the same display on the poco f3 which is the uh, snapdragon 870 phone we were just talking about yeah. like the amount of mixing and matching that xiaomi does on their phones is unprecedented yeah. i don't think yeah. anybody's ever done that yeah it's it's crazy unbelievable i i would all, already at this point we're only in may and i think the redmi note 10 pro is possibly my phone of the year if you if you're looking at value for money and that that's that's amazing to be able to say that before we've even got halfway through the year maybe xiaomi can go even further in the second half what i want to see is wireless charging on affordable phones this is a must-have requirements i think that the first companies who bring on wireless charging at the two, three hundred, four hundred dollar price point, they don't make this <laughs> an optional thing, are gonna be very well. I mentioned this on last week's podcast. Like every Nokia phone from the Lumia series almost had either optional wireless charging with a case yeah. or had wireless charging. I'm right? showing the Lumia 735 on the camera for the listeners out there, yeah. But I, I'd actually forgotten it had wireless charging. I knew it was fairly cheap, but I use other Lumias and for testing. I got this out of the drawer to do some flashing experiments and someone reminded me the back came off. I thought, oh yes, and, oh look, there's a cheap charging coil. This was two, <laughs> £230, I'm tempted to say £240, so under $300 in America. And that that, that was kind of the... The, the, the base point for qi charging back in the day and we've kind of slipped away from that to the point where qi charging only appears if you're over four five six hundred yeah and it's ridiculous yeah. like i want this to change and also one the other thing i want to change is i want to see telephotos on affordable phones i yeah. don't care if it's just a 2x yeah. or a 3x ideally yes i do want stabilization but if the isp can do a good job at stabilizing I'm, i'll take that like digital stabilization this proliferation of what i call sticker cameras two megapixel useless cameras on the back for just camera count yeah. i know it's because of india i know it's the indian market drives this very strongly and it doesn't make sense for other than xiaomi for a lot of companies to make custom versions for other markets but i would take a Basic eight megapixel, like they do their ultra wides. They're not phenomenal ultra wides. They're yeah. eight megapixel. They're passable ultra. Give me that sensor with a two or three x optical, instead of that crappy two megapixel <laughs> macro. Yeah. Especially macros without autofocus. Yeah, yeah. Or even a depth sensor. Use the sensor for a depth sensor as well. Like, and there was a time when it was like that. Remember the K twenty Pro from Redmi that had three lenses in the back. I'd what is 300 quid with a Snapdragon 855, you know, with, with a telephoto. And, and then the K30 comes out and it drops that. And then the K40 doesn't have that either. I don't know. It's, it's annoying. We were talking about rumors. I want to get back on track. One of the things we didn't talk about real quickly on the Z Fold 3, the big folding phone, the rumors, the leak on this, shows that there is no cameras in the big screen when you open it up, which is apparently because it might have an under display. Yeah. It might be the first Samsung with under display. So I have a feeling if Samsung does it, Steve, we're going to be safe. Yeah. Like in terms of performance. Yeah, I think under display cameras, they can work for, you know, a Teams call, a Skype call, and maybe a selfie. Oh, yeah. They, they are not clearly that the laws of physics dictate they're never going to be as high quality as what we've got today with direct cameras but if they can do it good well enough then it dramatically improves the look of the main main display so 
uh, I think I'm all for it. Yeah, especially since you can flip the phone shut and then in the front there is a clearly visible hole punch. So that one's probably a slightly better yeah, version. Yeah. Final thing in terms of coverage for this week, as you know, Google I.O. is coming up and I'm hearing from people in the right places that we're going to see a lot of hardware announcements. And one of the leaks is already happened. It's the Pixel Buds A. As you know, the A series phones, 3A, yeah, 3AXL, yeah. 4A last year, 4A, 5G, are the more affordable pixels. And so they're going to do the same with the Pixel Buds. There's going to be a Pixel Buds A, which is like the OnePlus Buds Z versus the OnePlus Buds, basically a cheaper version of the Pixel Buds from last year, which I thought were pretty great. So I reviewed them on Hot Hardware, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these come out. Basically. I'm sure they'll be decent enough. I have to say, this is a personal rant. I, I've, I'm completely and utterly fed up with true wireless stereo earbuds because there are so many. <laughs> I get a pitch from a PR company about once a week saying, we've got this dr- oh, revolutionary ridiculous. new TWS headphones. And, and they're, they're all okay. None of them are spectacular. They're all eminently losable. They all have eminently two <laughs> interfaces touch interfaces that are too fiddly and all of us who really appreciate audio we all go back to what we're wearing right now i'm looking at your video with with on-ear or over-ear head- headphones i've got some lovely marshals sure. here and and even the conjoined in-ear ones with the wire connecting the two halves and a battery pod i i also like that design because you can't lose one half one half can't fall out and you've got more battery, so the battery lasts for longer. So I'm just a personal rant. I do not, I've, I'm, I don't like the current trend of TWS. I don't care how well Apple's doing with their, their AirPods um, and the AirPods Pro are ridiculous, but let's not go there. It's a whole different rant. But yeah, TWS <laughs> is not for me and I'm going to pass on the Pixel Buds. Sorry. Yeah, I've come around on TWSs. There's a few that have impressed me enough now. I personally love the fact, I mean, I know they're losable, but I love the fact that you have no cords or nothing. I love the fact that you, you know, I grab them from my, I got a whole bunch on my desk. I grab a pair. I go for a walk to get a coffee a block away from my home. Literally, I'm listening to them for five minutes, right? Like that's the use case. To me, that is where they shine. I'm not going to use them at home. I have noise canceling headphones if my neighbors get loud or there's a lot of noise outside. I have these Bayer Dynamics sort of open ear headphones for my monitoring that are you know zero lag because they're wired yeah like i'm still on board for that but i feel honestly i throw a pair of right now my favorite are the oneplus buds not the z the regular ones yeah i am a big fan of these for on the go occasional you need to listen to a podcast, have some musics to wind you down as you're doing a quick walk around the neighborhood and you don't really care about noise canceling. You don't really care about, I mean, I do care about sound quality. I have standards, but I've found a bunch now that are affordable, sound great, fit me well, are comfortable, have good battery life, take good calls. And I think that Apple has made that possible. And I, I think that there's a lot of crap out there, but we're finally at a stage where you can buy for less than 50 quid a pair of really nice, good sounding, well-performing buds that will keep you happy. And, and if you, that's the only thing you have, even for some critical listening, it's acceptable. Believe it or not, there are some good ones out there. I've been documenting them. Maybe I should publish a top five list or something. I think the Pixel Buds A will be more than $50, though. The Pic- Google tends to overprice its... Uh it's accessories. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it'll be cheaper than the Pixel Buds. So <laughs> let's see. And so the other thing that I yeah. expect we might see is a Pixel Watch. There's been rumors around that. And we might see that Pixel 6. Yeah. There yeah. are the rumors out there that two Pixel phones might be launched. A 5A for sure. We know Google's confirmed the 5A exists. It's basically an improved, a slight revision of the 4A 5G. 
But if they come out with a 6 or 6XL, maybe that's going to be my answers. It will probably won't be what I want, but it might be the one I switch to. I, I just want a phone I can switch to. Steve, I cannot yeah, make up yeah. my mind about what phone to switch to. It's driving me nuts. I'm in exactly the same position because although I've got this iPhone 12 Pro Max with my primary, and I'm just loving what Apple have done with the 12 Pro Max, and the, the hardware is the best of everything in terms of reliability and solidity and components. But I've got a second SIM. I've got a second line. I've got a home and a work line. My other SIM is in a, a multitude of Android phones, and I cannot make up my mind. I, my, I prefer the Galaxy S9 Plus from three years ago. It's still going strong, still doing amazingly well with every feature under the sun. But I can't carry on with it once it goes beyond three years and stops getting updates. But what do I switch to? There is every single phone that I could potentially switch to in the Android world for my second line has got compromises, which is why we carry on doing podcasts because there's so much to chat about. And the other thing is really hard for me to switch. Like I'm so comfortable with my 8 Pro. It does everything I want. It works well. It has all my stuff properly set up. I stayed on my Pixel 3 XL until the 8 Pro came along because I didn't switch yeah. to the Pixel 4 XL because the Pixel 4 XL had the Face ID, which didn't play nice with all the apps I use yeah. that need fingerprint ID, including my Tesla app. And you know what? I picked up my Pixel 3 XL out of the drawer the other day just because I was looking what app was that that I used that one time, you know, it's still on there. And I used it for a minute or two and it got an update, you know, whatever. Yeah. It is still so fast. Yeah. This thing runs at 8.55. I've beaten the crap out of that phone. I used it for two years and it's still rock solid. Like there is something to say about phones with high-end specs. They do last and it yeah. still feels snappier than that Note 10 Pro, even though that's a great phone. Yeah. But it goes to show that even a three-year-old flagship chip like that new quote-unquote Snapdragon 860, which is a revised 855, <laughs> yeah. is still a very solid proposition, you know? So maybe the Pixel 6 will have stereo speakers. I oh, not that really ropey. That P don't P suck, so yeah. So stereo speakers, better optics, better camera, faster processor, more RAM, and maybe you and I will finally get an Android phone, which hits enough of the bullet points that we can switch. Can we get an XL? I want a 6.4, like 5, 6. It doesn't have to be 6.7. That's a little too big. Actually, I yeah. do think the Redmi Note 10 Pro is a little too big yeah, for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Pixel 4a 5G is just ideal. If only it was higher spec. Correct. And had Qi. Exactly. <laughs> While it's charging and a 120 hertz display and a bit more RAM. Yeah, I know I'm yeah. describing the Pixel 5 right now, but the Pixel 5 is too small. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think too, too expensive. You know, we pay $100 more for our Pixel 5 here because of millimeter wave, which nobody's using. Yeah. So we, we pay the millimeter wave tax for having these antennas in there. And it's technically impressive, but I don't need it. So I don't want it. Yeah. Anyway, Steve, tell folks where they can find you on the internet. Uh, stevelitchfield.com. Litchfield is spelled with a T, so L-I-T-C-H field.com. And that's got links to everything I do, including uh, video shows, audio podcasts, and sites I write for. You should absolutely listen to the shows, watch the videos, and read the stories. As if you want the most incredibly detailed and important, in my opinion, phone camera comparisons out there, Go to All About Windows Phone, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, we've got another site, allaboutmobile.com, obviously being more generic in terms of operating system, but we have got a few technical hurdles to get it launched and live, but that will happen at some point. But yeah, the All About sites, but it's all linked to from my Twitter account. I'm at Steve Litchfield on Twitter, so follow me there and anything I do, any comparisons, you'll get the uh, heads up there. 
Indeed. And folks, you know where to find me. I'm at Tanker on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, drop the vowels. And that will get you on Twitter where you can comment about the show and you can ping me and Steve and we can answer your questions. And on Instagram, you'll find some pretty pictures taken with phones, some pretty pictures of phones. I have two YouTube channels you can subscribe to. One is a pretty complete. It's got all the unboxing videos of all the devices I play with and discuss on the show, along with some occasional reviews and hands-ons. We'll probably get more hands-ons now that COVID is subsiding a bit, but I haven't had any in a while. The channel is youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. So please like, subscribe, all that stuff. Tell your friends. The second channel is youtube.com slash mobile tech more. That one is uh, under construction and I need some subscribers. So please subscribe. We're going to be fleshing this out as well with some home automation, some travel tech, some uh, basically anything is preferable to mobile, but it's not necessarily directly covered by the main channel. So please subscribe, like, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Finally, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you want to subscribe, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere a good podcast can be found, you can find the show. And please subscribe, tell your friends. And if your app lets you rate the show or review the show, please do so. It helps folks discovering the podcast. There is a donate link in the show notes. It's a PayPal button. So if you can donate, that would be great. Please consider doing it. I have a question for the audience. If you can, if you've listened so far and you can tell me in Twitter, maybe I am looking at creating a Patreon. Would this be something you're interested in? And what kind of content would you like to see there? So let me know. I would love to hear it from you. Finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with the show since the early days, and they're a wonderful platform for audiobooks. We have a special deal. If you're not already part of Audible, you should consider it. 30-day free trial. You get a free book at the end, whether you stay or leave. It's a pretty good deal. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is the URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. If you like books like I do, you like to read, but maybe you don't want to read. Instead, your eyes are tired, you want to listen. They are your platform of choice. Audiobooks, a huge selection of them. Great books read by the authors many times. It's just a great experience all around. So check it out. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech will get you a free trial. And I hope you support Audible to help support us. And I want to thank Audible for being with us for years now. And I also want to thank you, Steve, for being on the show yet again. You're very welcome. This is an annual event, but I look forward to it every year. (laughs) thanks we'll definitely have you on again steve and folks we'll have another show next week so stay tuned for that and until then cheers everybody bye this has been the mobile tech podcast with tank girl proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com you can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com